Good evening, ladies. And thank you for inviting a guy to your all-girls club, crashing your party. On behalf of all of the pastors, I just want to say a big thank you to you ladies. We love and appreciate you. We don't say it enough. You mean so very much. You add so much value to our body. We thank you for your ministry in the context of our families, but here at church in a variety of ways, you're very, very much appreciated. On behalf of all the staff, we want to say a big thank you. And I am privileged to speak to you tonight. I don't uh, treat this lightly. I've been praying that I might be a blessing. I love you. I want to encourage you. My desire is that you might be built up as a result of having come tonight. Well, as uh, Sarah said, it's Christmas time. And that likely evokes a plethora of mixed emotions. On the positive side, some of you are really pumped. You're excited. You're looking forward. You're full of joy, anticipation. Others of you, conversely, at least some of you here perhaps, are feeling a good deal of hurt as you anticipate the holiday. Maybe you dread it. Maybe you're experiencing some pain which is going to be accentuated in the context of the holidays. One lady I was listening to on the radio said this about herself. My to-do list stresses me out. She said, I have lists of my lists. Can you all relate? Would you say I resemble that remark? Are you a list person? As I mentioned, I think the holidays can accentuate things that are already going on in our lives. A word to those of you who are single. I feel your pain. I sense that this may be a season of loneliness. On steroids for you, my heart goes out to you. Some of you gals here are widowed. Maybe not uh, this year, but maybe in recent years. And the memory of Christmas past really is brought to the surface when you come to the holiday again and you miss that special guy that sat alongside of you for so many years and, and you, you feel that hurt deep down in your soul. Maybe you've, maybe you've lost a parent. Maybe you've lost a baby. You've had a miscarriage. And my heart goes out to you because you wish you could just rock that sweet little baby that's now in the in the arms of Jesus in heaven. And I, I want to give you assurance that you will rock that baby in heaven, but we'll have to wait a little bit longer. Nevertheless, I feel your pain. Some of you have family difficulties, extenuating circumstances, maybe financial issues, maybe you have physical problems that are making their way into your life and you're feeling that. And then for many of you, especially those gals with young mother syndrome, uh, there's the ongoing toddler meltdowns or the ongoing teen crises which tend to mess with your mind and can rob you of your joy. For many of you, there is the cooking of a big meal, perhaps on Christmas Day or maybe for some of you, as per your custom, on Christmas Eve. And you're already thinking, you're already there, you've already got it planned out, what you're going to cook, what you're going to make, how you're going to do it, how you're going to point the table, the house, all the fixings, you've got it ready to go. And I can almost envision what it's going to be like in some of your homes when you've got everything done after hours of work and the men folk, they rush in, they sit down, 
they wolf down their food, and they rush back to the television to watch still another ball game. And you want to scream. You want to pull your hair out. Where is the appreciation for what I've done, for what I've made for you? For some of you who've been around the block a few times, maybe you can relate to this uh, cartoon my wife sent to me recently. I'll read it for you. She looks rather exasperated. Remember when we were young and couldn't wait to grow up so we could do whatever we wanted whenever we wanted? (laughs) How's that working out for you? (laughs) You maybe can relate with this particular lady in this joke from Antiacid. I've been asked to speak tonight to ladies, uh, given really the option of speaking whatever I desired to speak on, but I really desire to speak on something that I encounter regularly in the counseling office. For those who don't know what I do here, I'm the counseling pastor. I've counseled many of you, look forward to counseling maybe many more of you, and uh, I'm here to help. I wanna be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And I would say, perhaps in second place behind marital discord, the greatest thing I encounter with ladies who come in for help is anxiety. Um, Last Sunday night, Teresa did, as Sarah said, a terrific job. I think you're here, Teresa. I salute you. Great job. Way to rock it, girl. I mean, that was terrific. I'm just so grateful. And I just feel like I need to build upon what Teresa talked about. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about anxiety when emotions are out of control. You've got a handout. Hopefully everybody received a copy. We'll be looking at that later. You can lay that aside right now. But I I wanna make this interactive tonight, a little spot here, and then, Lord willing, at the end, some more interaction. Ladies, I want you to talk to someone sitting close to you right now, right where you are. Identify in your mind who that person is, to your right, to your left. I'm gonna give you about 60 seconds 30 seconds a person, and I want you to share some leading causes of stress for you during the holidays. Leading causes of stress for you during the holidays. You got that? Ready? Go. Okay, thank you, ladies. I hope that stimulates some thought. Among the stress givers that I have heard about in my office, especially during the holidays, is a strained relationship with relatives. Anybody talk about that? Yeah. The holidays seem to bring to the surface what's been stirring just beneath throughout the year, because you're spending more time together and stuff happens. And uh, you know, Some of the emotions start to to surface. Maybe you've heard this quote before, if it's not one thing, it's a mother. (laughs) (laughs) Younger women will ask, do I willingly subject myself and my family to this stress? Or do I set up boundaries as to time and location of interactions? How do I satisfy both my mother and my mother-in-law at the same time. Who gets Christmas Eve? Who gets Christmas Day? Or is it okay to stay home 
and set up your own holiday tradition with your immediate family. Someone has said, we're either one of two kinds of people, either stress givers or stress receivers. I don't want you to be either one. But I do want to say this to those of you who have stress-giving family. Remember, you're not responsible for their responses. If you've received any counseling from me, you've seen the circle of concern, the circle of responsibility. You have to stay in your own circle of responsibility. Here's a quote for you a friend shared with me recently. We are responsible to people, but we're not responsible for people. We're responsible to tell people the truth, but we're not responsible for their response to the truth. I have to tell myself that regularly in the counseling office. Because with regularity, there are those who push back on what the truth of Scripture says. My goal tonight is not to micromanage your decisions, but I do want to give you some basic pointers. And more importantly, I want to give you help on how to work through your emotional anxiety in a biblical way. So I'm going to take you to the Scriptures. We're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to give you four pointers for handling your holiday stress. Four pointers, it's not on your notes. You can jot this down on some other piece of paper. We will put the verses on the screen for you in the event you haven't brought a Bible with you. Four pointers for handling holiday stress from Ephesians 5. Here we go. Number one, plan your calendar and steward or manage your time. Plan your calendar and steward your time verses 15 to 17. Paul is writing to believers here. He would be writing to most of you ladies who profess to know Christ as your Savior, and he would be saying to you, look carefully then how you walk, and walk is a euphemism for your Christian life, your interactions on a daily basis. Be careful about that. Walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. I memorized it in the old version, redeeming the time, buying it back, because the days are evil, and they are evil days. Therefore, on the basis of this truth, do not be foolish, but contrarywise, understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, some natural truth that flows out of these verses. In short, act, don't react. Simplify your choices. You have two feet, but you can only walk in one direction at a time, so don't overschedule yourself. You do have control over your own calendar. You can't do everything, you shouldn't try. Right now, just realize you're gonna have to pray and ask God for wisdom for discernment, and you're gonna have to learn to say no. There's a good kind of no, and there's a bad kind of no. My wife Karen down here in the front recently traveled to Germany to visit our missionary kids, our youngest daughter Julia and her husband <coughs> Rich, our, our missionaries in Germany. <coughs> Excuse me, they have three little kids, the youngest of which is Lucy, and she'll be two come March. And Lucy is learning to say no in German. <laughs> Nein. N-E-I-N is how you say 
no in German. So you ladies can memorize that, say that to your husband, and he won't know what you're saying. Nine. It's the cute, she's as cute as the proverbial bug's ear. Nine. Nine. It's cute, but it has to be corrected. That's a bad kind of no. But there's a good kind of no as well. We have to say no to overload. I want you to try it with me. Humor me. Form the words in your mouth. I know you can do it. You can say no. Uh, pretend for a moment you're from Minnesota. <laughs> say the O with an Ota, okay? Can we say it together? No. No. See, you can do it. Practice saying no. Do not overload your schedule. Going back to the questions about the holidays and your relatives, you need to pray and ask God how to best honor him, and that may mean on occasion saying no to them. Back to verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So tell me, ladies, how do we understand what the will of the Lord is? The will of the Lord is revealed in the word of the Lord. The will of God never contradicts the word of God. So become familiar with the scriptures. God's will is revealed through his word. And in God's word, relationships, biblical priorities, always start with our vertical relationship between us and God. But among our human relationships, our horizontal relationships, marriage is on a plane of its own. Get this, we leave father and mother, cleave to our spouse. You have only one primary human relationship, and that is your spouse. It's primary, remember this, children are secondary, and certainly extended family are secondary to the primary responsibility, priority of your spouse. That's biblical teaching. So don't get that misaligned as you choose what to do and who to do it with. Pointer number two, don't overindulge. Don't overindulge to verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but rather, in contrast, be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means under the dominating control of the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you are, in fact, a child of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, while this verse inferentially warns of excessive drinking or excessive eating or staying up too late celebrating or spending money you don't have, the real emphasis is on the control of the Spirit. And Paul is using an illustration. Even as a person who's inebriated is under the control of drink, he says in a spiritual sense, you need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. He illustrated it this morning in the counseling office to a young couple. I asked them, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Often people are taken back when I ask that question. God wants us to know that we're filled with the Spirit. It simply means, I use the illustration, of a sailboat that's uh, receiving wind, giving it direction. The wind is blowing into the sails which are receiving the wind. Wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, John chapter 3. The wind drives the sail and thus drives the boat, and so the Holy Spirit should drive your decisions. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit every day. Common prayer for me every morning. Lord, control my 
thoughts, control my words, fill me with your spirit, I want to be under your control. Now, practically speaking, there's a parallel passage to Ephesians 5 in Colossians chapter 3. Almost the exact same wording in Colossians 3 verse 16. There is, however, a phrase that's used in place of be filled with the Spirit. And here's the phrase that's used. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's it saying? Inferentially. If you are controlled by the word of God, you will be controlled by the Spirit of God. So hide yourself in the word, be a woman of the word, and let that drive your decisions. Don't overindulge, but let the spirit drive your life. Number three, third pointer, be intentional in keeping Christ central. Be intentional in keeping Christ central. We go to verses 19 and 20. This is actually picking up a continuation of verse 18, uh, Paul's going to answer the question, what does it look like if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit? And he answers that question, well, you will be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Now listen to me carefully. It doesn't matter how many things you accomplish if you're not growing closer to Jesus, if you're not walking with him. God didn't put us on earth to mark things off our to-do list. You may remember the story of Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. Martha was really bothered that Mary was out in the living room listening to Jesus teach when she was cooking, and she was getting really frazzled and angry and frustrated. And Jesus gently rebuked her and said, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things, but Mary has chosen that better thing which cannot be taken away from her, i.e., receiving the word of God. That's a priority. So what's the takeaway principle from the story of Martha and Mary? Here it is, Jesus was saying, feed from me before you try to feed me. Feed from me before you try to feed me. In other words, worship always comes before service, even in December. Amidst the craziness, maintain your own personal devotions. Now don't get legalistic, it didn't have to be a particular time of the day or a particular length of time. Maybe if you have little ones, it's when they're down for a nap. Maybe it's a quiet time during the day when nothing else is going on. I realize that they, that may not happen very often, but sometime during the day, get yourself alone with God and get into the Word and pray. And then on the holiday itself, I want to challenge you on Christmas Eve, on Christmas, be a Christian and include the Scriptures during that day with your family, even your extended family, even if they're not believers, sing carols together. Most unbelievers know Christmas carols. Pray together and give thanks, we just read that, for the gospel of Christ. Christmas is all about the gospel. It's why Jesus came, to lay his life down on our behalf. He paid for our sins. He rose again. That's what saves us. It's not the babe in the manger, but it's the cross of Christ and the resurrection that brings about our our salvation, so tie that in. 
give thanks for the gospel. Now, you'll have to plan to do this. It won't happen accidentally. You've got to be intentional. And if you're married, try to brainstorm with your husband. Try to help him with some ideas. Uh, A little word to to you about, about guys. They're over there tonight so I can talk about them. Guys are often intimidated by their wives and their spirituality. Let's go ahead and say it. Most gals are more spiritually minded than guys are. It's just been my observation. And they have a hard time taking spiritual leadership. You can't beat them over the head. First Peter chapter three, verses one through six reminds us you have to have a meek or a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. But you can give them ideas, kind of insert them, and hopefully they'll think it's their idea. And you can just encourage them. How about, sweetheart, if we try this on Christmas and let's get the kids involved and they can act out the Christmas story and, but be intentional in keeping Christ central in Christmas. Okay, to principle number four, pointer number four. Practice humility and deference toward others. Humility and deference toward others to verse 21. The sentence continues, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, respect for Christ. And that carries over into the very next verse where it talks about wives showing reverence, submitting to their husbands in verse 22. Humility and deference. Pastor Pat, Pastor Brad have talked about this the last few weeks. Remember this, people are more important than things. Love people and use things. Don't love things and use people. There's a difference. And don't demand your rights. Teach the lesson by example. Jesus taught us in the scriptures. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So this holiday, if you want to intensify your joy factor, help somebody out. Reach out to someone. Encourage them. Bless them. Minister to them. It'll do wonders for your joy and help you in overcoming anxiety. Okay. So let's suppose, we're fast forwarding now, we're later in the month of December and uh, you start to come unhinged over something. You move into meltdown mode and the question is, what should you do? And the answer is, you need to start talking to self instead of let self talk to you. Talk to self rather than having self talk to you. As Teresa emphasized last Sunday night, we've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We've got to cast down all these imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against God, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I want to urge you to get a, what I'm calling a thought journal, to record each time you move into meltdown mode. And again, I know this is common. I encounter it all the time in my office Anxiety among ladies, guys too, a lot of guys struggle. I struggle with anxiety. I've already told you as a congregation about that. But I want you to write out these questions and then answer these four questions. This is, this is for your journal, here they are. First of all, you ask, what is my situation? What is my situation? What, what just happened to me? You almost have to have a kind of a spiritual out-of-body experience where you're lying there bleeding on the table, but you're looking down on, what just happened? What just came down? Be objective. Be objective. 
Question two, what did I say or do? How did I respond in my stress? Be honest with yourself. Did I explode? Did I internalize? Did I stuff? Did I lose perspective? Did I start to scream? Did I run off in the other room? Did I call somebody on the phone and just vent and rant? What, what did I do? Be honest. Number three, what were my thoughts and what was it that I wanted so badly that I panicked when I thought I wouldn't get it? Yeah, you got to check for idolatry. Ask yourself, what do I have to have so badly that I'm willing to sin to get it? Why I'm willing to sin if, if I don't get it. Here's some quotes for you. Emotions are the dashboard lights that reflect what's going on in the engine of your heart. When the emotions start to flash, something's going on deep inside of you. Something you believe deep down in your soul is being revealed. Do you get really super angry? Are you explosive in your anger? I say it graciously, it's, it's a heart issue. The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. You say, what is anger anyway? Anger is a blocked goal. I want something really badly and I'm not getting it. I'm running up against a wall. If we don't handle anger biblically, if it lives for more than a day, Ephesians 4, 26, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you don't handle it biblically, if we internalize anger, it will inevitably lead to anxiety, and it will inevitably lead to depression. You gotta do something with that stuff, and it starts to eat away. It corrodes the container in which bitterness is found. Some of you say, I just wish I could get rid of my bad circumstances. We live in a fallen world, and you may get some temporary relief, but that's not really where you're gonna find peace. Here's a quote for you. It's not a change in your circumstances that brings about peace, but it's the presence of Christ in your circumstances that brings you peace. Be content with what such things as you have. This is, this is Hebrews 13, five. For he has said, Jesus, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Verse six, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What, what can man do to me? You gotta tell yourself truth. Pointer number four, what does God's word have to say about what I should desire and what I have in Christ that I cannot lose? We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Here's a quote from John Piper like this. In every situation, God is doing a thousand different things that we cannot see and we do not know. You say, does God know what's happening to me? Yes, he does. I'll read it again. In every situation, God is doing a thousand different things that we cannot see and do not know. And when life gets bumpy, remember, anything that makes us need God more is a good thing. And trials are usually the things that make us feel 
that we need God more. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and scourges every son or daughter whom he receives. Now, no chastening for the present time seems to be joyful, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained thereby. Are you going through a hard time? Hang on. God's doing something in your life. You can tell a person's relationship to God by their responses, not by what they say they believe. A lot of people have good theology, but you don't see any joy in them. Did you hear me? We can say we believe in God, and he's in control, and he's sovereign. I'm going to pillow my head tonight on God's sovereignty. But our responses reveal what we really believe. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love and joy and peace and patience. And we go all the way down the line of those nine fruit to self-control. Now, this brings us to the handout sheet you all received when you came in tonight. I'd like you to pull that out right now if you would. We have in our library this book, Lies Women Believe, by Nancy Namas Wagamuth. We see on this sheet, on one side, that we need to counter lies with the truth. We are people of the Bible, objective, biblical truth, the gospel. But we tend, and guys are as guilty as gals many times, at least with some of the things on the left-hand column. See if any of these fit you on the left-hand side. Number one, if, if I feel something, if I feel something, it must be true. What's the, what's the truth? My feelings can't always be trusted. They often have little to do with reality. and can easily deceive me into believing things that are not true. I must choose to reject any feelings that are not consistent with the truth. Number two, I can't control my emotions. What's the truth? That was the lie. What's the truth? I do, not, I do not have to be controlled by my emotions. I can choose by faith, not by feelings, to fix my mind on the truth, to take every thought captive to the truth, and to let God control my emotions. I don't have time to read all of these and I don't want to insult your intelligence, but I'll jump down to number five because I know a lot of you struggle with self-image and there's a biblical, I should say an unbiblical notion about self-love. It's mentioned in number six here, but let me just read number five. I'm not worth anything. What's the answer to the antidote scripturally? My value is not determined by what others think of me or what I think of myself. My value is determined by how God views me. To God, my soul is worth more than the price of the whole world. If I'm a child of God, I am God's cherished possession and treasure. That's where you find your identity. It's in Christ. The misnomer, I mentioned number six. I need to learn to love myself more. You know, that, that's a psychological ploy of the world. What's the answer? What's the right hand telling yourself the truth? By faith, I need to receive God's love for me. I already love myself. I need to deny myself and let God love others through me. Some of you maybe are struggling with number seven, I have rights. No, 
You yield those rights. Number eight, I, 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 am I beautiful enough? Or number nine, I should not have to live with unfulfilled longings. I will always have to have unfulfilled longings this side of heaven. The deepest longings of my heart cannot be filled by any created person or thing. If I will accept them, unfulfilled longings will increase my longing for God and, and for heaven. Would you take this home with you? Don't put it in file 13 right away. But read this over. And if you're struggling, or you know someone who's struggling, would you turn to the opposite side and would you just walk through this? Self-help, it's uh, in a sense uh, explanatory to you. I agree with God, this is kind of paralleling my journaling questions from earlier. What lies have you believed about your emotions? You need to accept responsibility. Number two, how has believing those lies manifested itself in the way you live, attitudes and actions? Number three, you've got to affirm the truth, read aloud the truths listed on the opposite side of this page. Which of these truths do you particularly need to embrace at this time? And there's some scriptures here for renewing your mind. We're renewed by the word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. The first text there, Philippians chapter 4, very well known. Years ago, I memorized from another preacher a little outline on that passage. It goes like this. Praise plus poise plus prayer equals peace. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Where do you rejoice? In your circumstances? No, in the Lord. So you can praise because the Lord is a constant. That's praise. The next verse Verse five is, is poise. Let your moderation, your sweet reasonableness be made known to all men. That's poise. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He's right here with me. He's never gonna leave me. I can be under control because he's inside of me and he's gonna help me. So you got praise plus poise plus prayer, verse six. Be anxious for nothing. There it is. Or don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication is asking God for what you need very specifically. Lord, help me. I need this. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Be sure to praise God in thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, he says. And verse 7 then promises. And the peace of God, that sweet tranquility that the Spirit promises, will keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You need to tell yourself truth. Um, I want to help you by having you listen to a song many of you are familiar with already by Lauren Daigle. You say, have you heard it before? It'll be on the screen. We'll come back for one more exercise, but give your attention to the theology of this song. If you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, that's true of you. But you must receive it by faith and believe it. We need each other in the body of Christ. You shared a few minutes ago some of the stresses. Would you turn back to those same people as we conclude and just pray for each other that we will be, in your case, women of God, men of God, that practice what we say we believe. 
Would you show grace and mercy by praying for those around you? <clears throat> and then we'll <clears throat> excuse me, be dismissed at quarter after to go pick up our kids. So turn to those around you and pray with them right now. Thank you.